what I wanted to do today was uh, just kind of do, I told Andy that uh, I would kind of continue what he was doing, but in a little bit different way. In the sense that uh, he was talking about, you know, we're getting up to uh, Mount Sinai and the and the, uh, uh, number of uh, people that when they in, in Deuteronomy as they're going into the Promised Land. Of course, Deuteronomy in the Pentateuch is the, the 30 days before they go into the Promised Land and Joshua takes over and Moses dies. So they have all these folks that the, the Lord commands them that they are not to uh, bring them into the community. And, and, the, and you go through the Hittites and, and the Amorites and on and on and on and, and uh, the Jebusites. And that's around the, the year 1500 B.C. with Moses. Then as we move on through things, what I wanted to talk about a little bit was uh, the northern kingdom in 722 failed to the Assyrians, as you remember. And those are the ten tribes up in the north in Canaan area up there, Samaria. And then in 586, uh, it wasn't the Assyrians because by then Nebuchadnezzar had taken over and uh, the Babylonians had defeated um, the Assyrians. And so the Babylonians came in in 586. Uh, they were there before that, but that's when they, uh, they burned Jerusalem and tore down the temple. And uh, then as we move a little bit past that, Jeremiah said in uh, his writings that uh, the temple would be torn down, but it would be rebuilt in 70 years, okay? And the temple was torn down in 586, burned down by Nebuchadnezzar. Now, one of the reasons they did that is, is that the, the uh, Jewish people kept rebelling against the Babylonians, so finally he got tired of it, so he just destroyed Jerusalem pretty much. And it was the Assyrians in 722 that really took the northern tribes and dispersed them all over the world. And uh, it, it left the southern tribe, uh, the two tribes, alone pretty much. But you had Ezekiel and Daniel before 586. Uh, they, uh, Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar controlled that area. And, and they were uh, taken to Babylon. First, uh, uh, Ezekiel, then Daniel, and, and Jehoiakim, the last, one of the last kings, was exported over to Babylon, and that was before the, this uh, temple was destroyed. So this was a process. And so when you, when you go from here to here, a thousand years, it, and if you, you know, in Proverbs and also in the New Testament, uh, the statement is that to God, a, a thousand years is a day as a day is a thousand years. So I think that the Lord invented time for us because he doesn't look at it like that. So to him, that thousand years was just a snippet of time. And, uh, but it gets confusing when you start looking at all this as far as uh, what does this mean to us today. And so um, we're supposed to stop at what time? 35. 35, okay. If I went through all of this, we, we'd be here a long, long time. So it needs to make some sense. And that's the problem, I think. We, like in India, Thomas, apostle, he was, he was martyred in, in India. He was over there, and a, a stave was pushed through his abdomen and killed Thomas that, way back then. And uh, so it's been a tough fight, you know. Um, and it, it's still ongoing, that's for sure. And, um, but if we look at the 1500 B.C. and all the people that were there, that they had to push them out 
of the uh, the area. And the reason that they had to push them out of the area was these folks worshipped the Baal gods, which was the problem with uh, sacrificing babies and things of that nature. And so God knew they were not going to accept him. And so, they, so that they wouldn't be polluted with all this, they were going to have to be pushed out. And, but by the time we get down here and they build the second temple, after this destroyed in 586, Jeremiah said in 70 years they would rebuild the temple. Now, Jeremiah said that before the temple uh, was even destroyed, of course. So, because Jeremiah was um, uh, carried off to uh, Egypt about this time. But he said in 70 years it would be rebuilt. And sure enough, in 516 uh, B.C., the temple was rebuilt. So we had the second temple. Jeremiah said 70 years, and by George, it was 70 years. And so you could say, well, you know, Jeremiah's books really weren't written. uh, And he supposedly uh, also... Uh, authored first and second kings and Jeremiah and Lamentations, that he didn't really do all that. It was written later. Well, as it turns out, he really did do all that. And so he predicted, though, in 70 years, they'd rebuild the temple. And you think, well, how in the world is that going to happen? But because you have these outside forces. Well, the Lord uses these outside forces, as we know, and that's what we have to pray for today when we're thinking about India, because, um, and, and, uh, when we think about China and all of that. So what I'd like to do is to bring this into some context, if I could, and uh, see if we can see the Lord's hand kind of working through all this. Because as Matthew Henry said, the, the Bible as a book is, a, is about redemption. And, and that's, all, that's what it's about. And that's the reason whether it's a thousand years, one year, or whatever it is, it's about redemption and it's about us. In Second Peter, you have this, this vision of the angels looking over from heaven at the church. And they're looking at the church because the Lord, God is not telling these angels what his plans are. But if they can watch the church, in other words, us, members of the church, then they know what God is going to be doing. And they're very interested in that. And I'm sure, I don't know if this is true or not, but I'm sure the angels must be thinking, why does he care so much about these people? You know? As they're looking and they're watching and seeing what God's plans are, then um, because God's working through the church. And that's, that's just the way he set it up. And if we go back to Isaiah, and I, Isaiah was, um, he died, he, he was there from like seven uh, he was writing from about 740 to about 701. So he got to experience the northern. He was, he was down in Judah, so he was way down here in Judah. But he, so he was alive when those ten tribes were carried off. And so here's Isaiah writing here. And uh, when he's writing, of course, one of the best verses that I, I just love, it gives us a view of something. And it's when uh, Isaiah is called to be a prophet in Isaiah 6. And in the year that King Uzziah died, and there was a southern kingdom, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, 
With two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And the thing about it is, Calvin believes that that's Christ. So this is a pre-incarnate Christ sitting on a throne. And and, uh, his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings, with two covered his face, with two covered his feet. That's Christ. Okay, now it's, it's way back here with Isaiah. He sees Christ sitting there. And the, uh, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. And that's what Christ does for us. But that was Christ sitting on his throne, pre-incarnate Christ. Now, he came down from that throne and was hung on a cross. And so that's just remarkable, you know. And when the world was formed, who formed it? Christ. And the word was spoken and the word was Christ, as we see in John. So when we're talking about all this, trying to get from 1500 B.C. all the way to Christ, 1500 years there, Christ didn't just appear on the scene, okay? He was here all along. And, in the, and uh, Calvin will also argue that on the... the uh, uh, Shekinah cloud that carried the that directed them in the, those forty years in the desert. That the Shekinah cloud in the Shekinah cloud, just like who was on Mount Zion in, in, and it was enveloped with with uh, clouds. That was Christ there too. Just like when Joshua was before the battle of Jericho, he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword drawn, and Joshua said, "Are you for us or against us?" And he said, "I'm the commander of the Lord's army." That's Christ, sword drawn. Prophet, priest, king, commander of the Lord's army, commander of the angels, okay? So all this is Christ. We just have to see how, it, how, it, uh, how, how we can work it into our uh, lives. And so he will be involved in our lives just like he was involved in the lives here. And he, he obviously wants to be. He died on the cross for us. So if we go to Isaiah and... Uh, now, Isaiah, just like Jeremiah said, in 70 years the temple would be rebuilt, Isaiah is prophesying that Cyrus, he mentions the word Cyrus, Persian king, and the Persians defeated the Babylonians in um, about 538. So about 20 years after the temple was, was destroyed, then the Persians come in and, and they, uh, they conquer uh the Babylonians, and move into the palace of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. As a matter of fact, in about 300, uh, 320 B.C., Alexander the Great dies in the palace of Nebuchadnezzar. So, because by this time he had destroyed... He had defeated the Persians. He defeated Darius the third. Darius had about 150,000 men in that battle, and, and um, Alexander the Great had about 50,000, and uh, he, he destroyed 
I defeated him and, and Gargamel. And that was their third loss, and that was the one that finally did Darius in, that his own men killed him. But, so, uh, there was a lot happening during this period of time, and it gets confusing because as you read Ezra, some of Ezra is back uh, uh, when the temple was destroyed, and then some of Ezra... Uh, uh, the history in there, although Ezra lived down the time uh, when uh, after the temple had been rebuilt, but it, it looks like it all flows together. But there's there are jumps in time, and and Ezra will go back and forth with with his commentary, and it gets so confusing. Which one of these emperors is there, and which one's not there, and all this kind of stuff. But it's if if you just kind of back back off of it a little bit and just let it flow, it's all Christ working it. And if we look. In uh, Isaiah, let's see, Isaiah 42, and uh, thus says the Lord, this is uh, Isaiah 42, 5, thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, this is Isaiah, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. The Lord, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles. So way back here in the time of Isaiah, the Lord is telling through Isaiah, spirit-inspired word, that, that they will be a light to the Gentiles. So they didn't just... Uh, Abraham was supposed to be... Uh, uh, have more descendants than, than you could count the stars, and they weren't just going to be Jewish descendants. And so th- this it's just the way that the Lord gets to it. You know, but even way back here in 700 B.C., he's saying, and as a light to the Gentiles. So I think that's important to kind of bring that along as we come along here. They didn't just, God didn't just find Gentiles after Christ was crucified. He's been working on this all along, okay? And then as we go on into Isaiah a little bit more, and uh, this will be written about uh, 150 years before Cyrus became uh, uh, emperor in, in Persia. Thus says, the, and this is uh, Isaiah 45, 1. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus. Cyrus is anointed. This was, this was uh, uh, a Baal believer, uh, wasn't a believer in Yahweh, the God, but he calls him his anointed. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him, and loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors, so that the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel for Jacob, my servant's sake. So here, some 150 years before uh, uh, Cyrus takes uh, control in about 537, Cyrus, or 538 really, uh, they defeat uh, the Babylonians. And then, about, in 537, a year later, he sends out this edict that the Jewish people, although uh, uh, the, the, the temple can be rebuilt, Jewish people can return home. The Assyrians way back here just disseminated the Jewish people all over the world. Well, now, 
they're trying, and it, and it was they sent out these little scrolls, these little ten-inch um, clay uh, written in uh, Aramaic, all over the twenty provinces of the empire that the Persians controlled, and they controlled an empire from India all the way to Egypt. It was it was huge. Well, they sent out to these twenty provinces that the the native that the the people could return to their native home, and that's when the Jewish people started coming back into. Uh, uh, Jerusalem and the uh, temple subsequently was rebuilt, and um, but they they had problems as they were, of course, doing all this, <laughs> in the sense that uh, by this time you didn't have the uh, Hittites and and all causing problems. They they basically had the Amorites, uh, they had the uh, Ammonites, the Moabites, which were Lot's descendants. And they weren't supposed to attack them. Had the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians as, as groups. And then you had the surrounding countries that didn't like the idea of all these Jewish folks coming back into Jerusalem. So they fought it. The Sumerians, when uh, uh, Zerubbabel, <coughs> Zerubbabel was allowed to go back and, and, and uh, start rebuilding the temple, and he was the uh, grandson of the last Jehoiakim, the last king of, of Israel, he, Zerubbabel went back. And, so, and, and they had to take monies and treasures out of the provincial government to rebuild that temple. Well, and, in, and uh, they, they did get it rebuilt in, in uh, 516, but the people around it, they didn't like this at all. The Sumerians, the, Christ, the, the Jewish people by the time of Christ really didn't like the Sumerians at all. Sumerians really fought this uh, temple being rebuilt and all the people around it. And then they do get the temple rebuilt. And then Ezra comes along after the temple is rebuilt. And Nehemiah comes along after the temple. Because you're still having uh, these different um, um, emperors come in that, that, are, that are Persian kings. And the um, Persian kings, during this time, you started with Cyrus, then you had Darius and Xerxes and Artaxerxes. Xerxes was head of the Persian Empire when you had uh, uh, Esther come in and, and uh, uh, Haman, you know, he was hung on the gallows and he was a Malachite. Well, that was during the time of Xerxes. And uh, so you had a lot of people like that fighting against the Jewish folks. But the uh, Persian emperors hung in there. And, and then you had Artaxerxes at the last that, they, that uh, during this time of Ezra and Nehemiah, and he sent Nehemiah back to build a wall. So if you hear about walls, Nehemiah went back to build a wall to protect the, Jerusalem as a city and to protect the temple that had been rebuilt. But the, the surrounding folks didn't like that either because they said if these Jewish people that are so stiff-necked, if they get a wall, then they will rebel against the Persian Empire. Well, Artaxerxes says, well, I'm going to send them back. Anyway, so Nehemiah goes back. And Nehemiah had influence over Artaxerxes because he was his cupbearer. In other words, he was his chief of staff and Jewish. So he was, and Artaxerxes' biggest question was, how long are you going to stay over there because we need you back over here? So he went over and they rebuilt, uh, they built a wall around uh, Jerusalem and that helped protect the temple. 516. Of course, the temple gets destroyed again the second time, and it has not been rebuilt. And uh, the uh, second time it was destroyed, of course, the Romans managed to do that after the time of Christ in uh, 70 uh, A.D., and that was Titus. 
the Roman uh, commander that did that. And, of course, Christ said when he was talking to the Pharisees and scribes that, that, that uh, the temple would be destroyed and not a stone would be, le- be left on the stone. And by George, by 70 A.D., it was destroyed. And you think about it a little bit, and this is conjecture, uh, because you can't go around digging and doing archaeological digs around the Temple Mount now in Jerusalem because uh, Jordan controls that for the Muslim population and for the Jewish population too, and so they just don't allow all that excavation. But probably the, the wailing wall that they're putting in all the little... Uh, prayers and things that everybody goes to the wailing wall. That probably was a wall of the Roman garrison and what really wasn't a temple because Christ said not one stone would be uh, left upon another. And Josephus reports that uh, uh, after 70 A.D. that land was bought and he gives the name of the person that did it and I can't remember it right now, but uh, that he plowed those fields. In other words, there wasn't a stone left upon the stone. That's probably not, the wailing wall is probably the wall of the Roman garrison, probably not temple wall to begin with. So anyway, that's another day and another story. But uh, that's kind of the way history kind of flows along here. We get a uh, we get a temple, a temple destroyed. We get another temple, and it's destroyed. Okay, but Christ is involved in all of this from Isaiah all the way through. Okay. And then finally, in about 400 B.C., we have the uh, last book of the Old Testament, and we have all this time from about 400 B.C. And, uh, until Christ. And in that whole time, you got Alexander the Great. And all. when Ezra went back, it was, it was sent back to uh, uh, Daniel and Ezekiel were brought from, from Israel over to Babylon. But Ezra and Nehemiah came from Babylon to Jerusalem. Nehemiah's brother came back telling how bad it was there, how much they needed a wall, and that's when, when Artaxerxes let him go and build a wall. Okay? But we, this uh, uh, period of time in here from about 400 uh, B.C. until Christ is where the Old Testament just stops pretty much. And uh, then you have all this other history going on with Alexander the Great. When Ezra goes back to, uh, to Jerusalem, and, and part of his, his responsibilities were to uh, have a uh, judicial system for hearings and things of this to set it up. And, and also, to, he took the Hebrew Bible and translated it into Aramaic. Aramaic is a, is, a, is a form of, of the Hebrew religion, but it, the Aramaic was what was spoken throughout the whole Persian Empire from all the way from India to Egypt. And so he went back and he translated. And so he would read the um, Hebrew and have it translated uh, uh, into Aramaic and read it to the people so that they would have the Old Testament to they, they heard it again in the language they could understand. And then by the time... Alexander the Great comes along, you have this Greek influence, so the whole New Testament is written in Greek. And, and, uh, and that's the reason why. It was just the way things were going on at the time. So what I wanted to, to bring out about all this was we have all these nations that they're going to have to fight when, they, when Joshua goes into the Promised Land. And then a thousand years later, temples built, temples destroyed. Temple was, of course, built... By, started in 922 uh, by Solomon. So the temple was built, then the temples 
uh, destroyed and it's rebuilt and then it's destroyed again. And that's kind of the way it's flowed all along. And it, it, um, if what you, I thought about this. I thought I'd just copy this and give it to you, but that gets so complicated. And uh, and when they're writing, like Ezra and some of them, you don't know when they jump 50 years this way or 70 years that way. And you just and so it takes some work, and it, it doesn't really help. So I thought what I would do today was kind of put this in some from where we are with Andy, and we're at Mount Sinai, and we're fixing to get the Ten Commandments. And then kind of go from there. And so that's really what I was trying to put together today. The um, the Aramaic uh, is is something like Hebrew. It's not exactly Hebrew, but it's something like Hebrew. Uh, Lebanese Christians today still speak Aramaic. When um, my um, uh, daughter's um, sister-in-law was married. Uh, she married uh, 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 Michael Corey. Mickey Corey is his dad. He's a chest surgeon at Baptist, and they're Lebanese. Well, at, at, uh, at the, the wedding uh, rehearsal dinners and things, when toasts were given, the Coreys still give their toasts and their make. Christ would have fully understood that. You know, and these are Lebanese Christians. They're Catholic, they're Lebanese, but still Lebanese Christians. So that was the language of the time, and that's what Ezra was doing over there. He's trying to get some codification to their laws as, as it related to the Jewish faith. And Cyrus and were not trying to do away with that faith. They were letting them, letting them go back and, and to their traditions and to the, the Bible and the Old Testament and the Pentateuch and everything like that. So anyway, Aramaic is still spoken, and um, the... Uh, when my father was in uh, at, at uh, Mississippi College in 1931, he graduated. He had a, he had a Bible and a, uh, and a, a math degree. as was his majors, and one of the professors was Dr. Uh, Dick Hitt. And and Dick Hitt then this is back in the late 20s and early 30s when he taught his his Bible classes. He didn't bring an English Bible into the class. He he brought a Hebrew Old Testament and a Greek New Testament, and he translated out of that and taught his classes. So. It's important that that we stay in the Word, and we try to to stay in the Word that it was written back then. And that was what Calvin stressed all the time in all these writings of his, was what did that word mean back in 1500 B.C. in Hebrew? What did that word mean back at, at, at the time of Christ when it was written by Luke, who was Greek, when it was written in Greek? What did that word mean? And so we don't change the meaning from what they were saying. Because um, the word fear in the Old Testament is that same word used by Christ. He used it as meaning worship. Fear the Lord, worship the Lord. You know, and, and fear could be also, another word could be put in as respect. And, and, and so it's, these words are important. And... Um, I think a good way to look at that is uh, when um, if I can find it when uh, in Isaiah when he talks about Cyrus being anointed of course all these uh, 
uh, David, when he became king, was anointed by Samuel, and the Holy Spirit descended on him. So you say, Cyrus was a heathen, you know, he, he wasn't a believer. Why, could he, why does he say Cyrus was anointed? The nice thing about Calvin is he doesn't skip over these things. He goes right into them. But then it may be 30 pages later that he finishes the discussion, and it's hard to follow. And some of the words he uses, you have to go to the dictionary to just see what in the world did that mean. But here's what he says about that, and I thought this was interesting. It says, Thus God deigns to call him, or Cyrus, anointed, not by a perpetual title, but because he discharged for a time the office of Redeemer. You know, Job said, My Redeemer lives. He said, For a time he used Cyrus. Okay? For he both avenged the church of God and delivered it from the Assyrians, who were its enemies. This office belongs peculiar to Christ, and this ordinary appellation of kings ought to be limited to this circumstance, that he restored the people of God to the enjoyment of liberty. This should lead us to observe how highly God values the salvation of the church, because for the sake of this single benefit, Rebuilding the temple, letting the Jewish people go back to, to Jerusalem. Cyrus, a <clears throat> heathen man, is called Messiah, or the anointed, whose right hand I have taken hold of. By this, and he said he took hold of, of Cyrus's right hand. Whose right hand I have taken hold of. By this mode of expression, he means that Cyrus shall prosper in all his undertakings, for he shall carry on war under God's direction. And therefore, Isaiah declares that for the sake of sake of the night, I don't have the rest of it here. For the sake of the church, in order that he may deliver her, God will grant to him prosperity in all things, while he again commends the providence of God that the Jews may fully believe amidst changes and troubles that God on high governs all things in such a manner as to promote the benefit of his elect. Now, since it was not easy for Cyrus to penetrate as far as Babylon, because the whole of Asia had leagued together in order to frustrate his designs, the prophet testifies that God will dissolve all the strengths which men can bring against him. In other words, he let Cyrus's armies prevail. And, and so when we see that anointed and words like that, instead of saying, well, he must have meant Christ or something like that, Calvin attacks it straight on and said, in that peculiar instance, he was anointed. Okay, so God uses different, different uh, mediums in uh, fighting for us. And who is the commander of God's army? Christ. So we're drawn. So the battle's already been won, but there's still battles going on. And so we can depend on our God because He's resolute and He's always there. He is from time immemorial. So that's basically what the whole story is telling, you know. So that's what I had. No, I hope I'm not. I tell you. Why don't I lead us in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and the many, many opportunities you give us here in this wonderful land, the United States of America. We thank you for that, Lord. By providence, by providence, we believe that we're here, and we pray that we may use this these blessings, that, that we may spread your word throughout the world. And we pray for all those Christians in, in difficult places where their lives are in danger, that you'll watch over them, protect them, the guardian angels be round about them all, undergird them, and, 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 and bring them to thy glory. We thank you, Lord, for this day. Pray that you bless the service to come, and Joseph, as he preaches, give him great unction, Lord, that he may speak thy word, and we may receive it in our hearts in a great way, that we may use it this week to glorify your name and everything we say and do. In Christ's name we pray, amen.